Good morning again, church. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and open to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, as we continue here in our study in the book of Colossians, of Christ above all, how He is supreme and sufficient for us in our faith, in our lives, in how we live, our focus, and all that we are. So as you make your way, we're going to be looking at verses 6 and 7 this morning in Colossians chapter 2. If you're using one of the Bibles there in the rows for you, it's page 984. As you find your way there, let's pray, and then I'll read our passage for us this morning. Father, we thank you that in life and death, we have no need to fear, but rather to look forward with expectant hope and joy that you will work. Lord, that you would sanctify us, make us more like Jesus, because how you have saved us through Jesus. Lord, as we look this morning at your word, Lord, these Verses that remind us of living all of life in the sphere of knowing Christ. Lord, that it's only by being in Christ that we can walk in Him and be rooted and built up and established. Lord, that before we even think about living for Christ, that we realize that we need to trust in Christ as our Savior. I pray for those here this morning who may not know Christ, who are lost in their trespasses and sins. Lord, I pray your spirit and your word would open their minds and hearts to the truth of the gospel. Lord, for those of us who know Christ, may you use your word to make us more like him because of what he's done. Lord, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I am not a constructional engineer by any sense of the word or carpenter. Um, as we've been doing this project, I've been the person handing things to Pastor James. That's, that's my role. <laughs> Some of you fit that role well, too. That's okay. That's okay. But as we think of these verses, a, a construction illustration is helpful. As we think of walking in Christ, of walking in Him, what that means for us in our Christian lives. There are some basic structures in construction that most of us are aware of. There's the idea of a pillar. A pillar is a obviously a long shaft that would hold up a, a roof or some sort of, of covering. So you could have pillars on your front porch. You could have pillars, say, in a temple. You could think in, in an ancient sense, some of those uh, Greek structures, all those pillars holding up. But the thing with a pillar is you need several of them, right? You need several. So if you have a structure, you probably need at least three or four pillars to hold it up. But then you have the foundation in which the pillars are placed. You can think of a slab of concrete or a solid footing that you would place those on. Many times we can slip into the idea of Jesus being a pillar in our life. What do I mean by that? He is one of several things. So as you think of your life, well, I'm a father, I'm a mother, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I I do this as an occupation, I do this, I enjoy doing this. You can have all these things, all these different pillars that make up your life, who you are. 
And we can easily slip in the idea that Jesus is just one of those pillars. So I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm a Christian, I'm this, I'm this. And at a certain level, you think, okay, that, that's not bad. That would be used to describe me. But as we look at Scripture, and specifically here in the book of Colossians, Jesus is not to be a pillar in our life. He is to be the foundation. He is to be the thing that everything else is built on. Rather than saying, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, and I'm a Christian, we need to say, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. But what undergirds all of that is my faith in Christ. Jesus is to be the totality of who we are. But that means those things that are built on Jesus, that it's not just only Jesus, but those things that are built on Jesus are impacted by what it's built on. Being a Christian impacts how you're a father and a mother as a parent, how you're a son or a daughter, how you're uh, uh, whatever occupation you may have of your interaction in the community, of, of why you do what you do with your free time and your gifts and abilities and all those things that the world would describe you as needs to be undergirded and built upon the fact that you are in Christ. That he is the foundation that all those pillars are built on. And in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, this is exactly the illustration that Paul uses for the believers in Colossae. That they, in their lives, are to be built. Everything is to have its foundation, its security in Jesus Christ. That's who they are. That is your most basic identity. That you are in Christ. Our big idea this morning is this, is that our faith in Christ demands that every aspect of our life be built on him. Every aspect. Not just what you do on Sundays. Not just what you do on Wednesday nights or as you think of giving charitably, but rather how you use every minute of every day of your interactions with your spouse when you don't feel good your interactions with your children as they don't listen for the hundredth time, your interaction as you go to the bank and pay at the gas station and how you use your money and how you use your gifts and how you comport yourself and all those things, every aspect of our life, if we have put our faith and trust in Christ, needs to be built on him. He touches everything. He permeates every aspect of our life. He's the foundation. We're to be built on him He's the focus of our doctrine and belief. We are to be established, not wavering from our hope in Christ. And he is the fountain. He's the source of a life of gratitude. It's an overflow of us being in Christ. So as we look here at verses 6 and 7, this is a, a major transition in the book of, of Colossians. Chapter 1 in the very beginning of chapter 2, that's really, <laughs> that's all Paul's introduction in a sense. It, it's, a, it's setting the stage, reminding who the Colossians are, reminding them of their faith in Christ, introducing himself and his ministry, and it's kind of the preliminary. Now we've moved into the meat and bones of Colossians. And this set of verses here is, if not the theme verses, one of the major themes in the book of Colossians. That because they have received Jesus Christ, they are to walk in him. 
for those of you who love grammar, a little grammar lesson right here. As you look at verse 6, you see the phrase, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. That is an indicative statement. It's a propositional statement. It's a truth, right? The sun is bright. Grass is green. It's a statement of proposition or proposition of statement. It is what it is. And that's what the gospel is. That's what Jesus has done. Jesus has died on the cross, has been buried, has been raised again. Those are propositional truths. They actually happen. And Paul says here, since you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, it's a statement of fact. It's what's happened. They have put their faith and trust in Jesus. This has happened. This is what they are. This is who they are. The indicative, the propositional statement, always then leads to the imperative. An imperative is a statement of command. Do this. Do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And here, the command, the imperative, is so walk in him. And this is important because this is really how Paul functions in all of his letters in the New Testament. He states the truth of of the truth of God and his creation and what he's done for us in Christ. And he says, so then, do this. Propositional truth, statement of fact, indicatives, leads to the imperative of what you are to do. And that's important for us as we think about this because the gospel clearly states who Christ is and what he's done. And because of that, we are to walk in him. Verse 6, therefore... You ever see therefore, you got to figure out what it's there for, right? As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, Paul summarizes all of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 with that statement. <laughs> he could have said, Paul, you could have just used that phrase from the very beginning, but Paul's not one to miss an opportunity to write a few words. Uh, <laughs> he summarizes, therefore, because of everything that you've just read of who Christ is and what he's done in your faith in him, because of that... As you've received Christ Jesus, you are to walk in him. That's the command. And that's the command for us. Walk in him. Him being Jesus, right? The pronoun him refers back to the subject there. As you have received Christ Jesus. As you have trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, so walk in Christ. Walk in him. And before we go any further, I need to make this clear here for you. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you cannot walk in Him without first receiving Him. Trusting in Him as your Savior. There's no walking, being like Jesus without trusting in Jesus as your Savior. It's not just simply a philosophical idea or a way to live your life. Oh, I like the teachings of Jesus. I'm going to try and live my life that way. You really can't do that without trusting Christ as your Savior. Because you're going to be doing your own effort. And our effort fails because we are by nature sinners. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Thomas Jefferson, third president of the United States, a great statesman, author of the Declaration of Independence, did a lot of good things for our country. But have you ever heard of the Thomas Jefferson Bible? Basically, what Thomas Jefferson did is he took a Bible and he cut out all the sections from the Gospels on Jesus' ethical teachings. 
and saying, this is how you should live your life, just by following the ethical teachings of Jesus, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The Sermon on the Mount, all these things. That's not bad. Those, those are good principles and ideas, but he missed the point. You can't do those things truly without being in Christ, without trusting him. Because even if you do that in your own strength, it's still done in your own effort, and those works are still filthy rags as compared to your sin before God. Now, those things aren't bad. As a, as a Christian, we are to strive to do those things with God's help, but we need to start with our greatest problem, our greatest need, and that's our sin. And the fact that we are separated from God on our way to hell. These past three months, we've had three funerals. One funeral a month. Funerals are not happy things, necessarily. For a believer who has passed and for a church who, who, who knows them, like there is, in a sense, an opportunity for joy there, knowing of their faith in Christ. But in Ecclesiastes, it says it is good for us to go to the house of mourning rather than to the house of feasting because we need to be reminded of our sin and of our mortality because life is short. Death comes for all of us. So before we even talk about how we live, we need to be ready to die. That starts with knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. If you have received Jesus Christ, as Paul says here, then so walk in him that I, this idea of walk is of how you live your life. The, the entirety of, of your thinking, of your words, of your actions, your motivations. This is all-encompassing word of how you live your life, right? Can you walk the walk? Uh, it's... This image used by Paul all over the New Testament in his writings. We read another passage in Ephesians 4. So walk in him, in Christ. And this is key. We don't walk with Christ. We don't walk by Christ. We don't walk above Christ. We don't walk below Christ. We don't walk around Christ. Prepositions are important. And this one is in. Walk in him, in Christ. What does that mean, right? A, a, a term that describes this is union with Christ, of our being united with him, that it is no longer us who live, but he lives now. This idea that uh, we are accepted in him, that we've been united in him, that as God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, but Christ's righteousness. There's an illustration, of course, all illustrations break down, but it's the illustration of an airplane. Jesus is the airplane. You are the passenger. If you want to get to a destination, what do you have to do? You have to get in the airplane. You don't get on the airplane, like outside of it. That would be a crazy ride, right? You don't go under it or try and go by it, but you get in it. We are in Christ through faith in him. So basically, our identity is found in being in Christ. That's why every aspect of our life is to be built on Him. So that's the indicative and the imperative, the statement of fact, and then the call to action. We are to walk in Him. So what does that look like for us today as believers in Jesus Christ? There are three points here, three things that he mentions. These are all prepositions following the command. The first one is being rooted and built up. The second one is being established. And the third one is abounding. So our three points as to how we make Christ 
evident in all aspects of our life. He gives three ways. <coughs> the first way is that he must be the foundation of our lives. First point is the foundation of our lives. So we are to walk in him. And then Paul says, rooted and built up. Rooted of going deep, of being firm and secure. It's the idea of roots of a plant. It's a farming term of going deep. We are doing Ezra's first take-home science project. You hear I said we are doing, right? Mom and dad, you know, you know what that means, right? We're helping him, and he has to make a desert biome in a shoebox. Classic. It's a rite of passage, I think, right? And so he has to have some different facts about the plants and the animals, and one of them is that the, the plants in the desert have deep roots to go down deep to get water, to remain secure and firm. It's this idea, as we are in Christ, we need to be rooted deep in him. We are to, to be searching and clinging to him. It's something that endures trial and temptation and hardship because our roots go down deep, planted firm. We won't be blown over or swayed by drought. This idea of being planted is found in Psalm 1, right? Blessed is a man who doesn't walk and sit or talk with the sinners but it's like a tree planted by the rivers. Why? Because its roots can go down and get water. We are to be rooted and then built up. So you have the foundation, the roots going down deep, but then we are to be built up. This idea of built up is a construction idea. It's building up like a structure on a firm foundation. We are to be built up in him. He is the foundation, this idea, of our lives. He is the reason and the motivation and the way in which we are to think about things in our lives. So being in Christ impacts what we do with our money. Being in Christ impacts how we should think our words impact others. Because we are built on Him. This is done in Christ and not apart from him. We are felled firm in him. It begins with Jesus and continues in Jesus. What does this look like? I already mentioned this in this opening illustration of him being the foundation. He is the lowest, not lowest in the ten sense of, of bad, but you know with the phrase, the lowest common denominator. When you get to the bottom, it's Jesus. Of what we do in life, everything is done because we are in him. As a follower of Jesus, our lives fit together best when we are built on him and his teaching and the truths of his word, seeking to bring honor and glory to him. We can go after things that don't please God. We can go after things where the thinking is not according to his word, but over time you see how those things falter and fail or they don't bring joy or peace. They're not lasting. It's because they're built not on Jesus, but on something else. As a follower, we are to be rooted and built up in Jesus. He's the foundation of our lives. How does being in Christ affect fill in the blank? How does it affect being, in my case, a dad? Well, understanding my responsibility to discipline and disciple my children. Of pointing them to truth. Of calling them to to the gospel? How does that impact my relationship with my wife? 
to, to know her and to love her and to dwell with her in understanding, to, to love her and sacrifice just as Christ has done for the church. How does that impact my life as I go about Walmart, the gas station, right? The way in which we conduct our lives in all these aspects through our occupations are affected by Christ. Are we pointing people to Jesus by how we live? Has the gospel made an impact at all in your life? It should. Secondly, as we are walking in Christ, walking in him, the focus of our doctrine. Jesus is to be the focus of our doctrine. This next phrase here is established in the faith. Established. To be firm. Very similar to the other phrases already used. The idea of being firm in commitment. To strengthen belief. The ability to do something. We're to be established, firm, committed, strengthened. Have an understanding of what? Of the faith. In the faith. I would take this phrase to mean more than just the gospel, though not less than the gospel, but the revealed truth of who God is and his teaching. Doctrine. Right? Sometimes the idea of doctrine or religion has been looked down upon. It's not, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. I get that. I understand what you're saying, right? It's not just knowing things. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with that comes knowing about Jesus and doctrine and teaching and theology. There's none of this, I don't need that, I just want Jesus. If you want Jesus, Jesus wants that. We need to be established in the faith and seeking to understand God and who he is. Not that we will know everything, but the complete collection of belief, of revealed truth that God has given to us in his word. That we would be established in it, that we would not be afraid, but that we would cling to the word of God knowing that it is truth. Not what the world says is truth, but what we understand to be truth from God. Walking in Christ, living for him means growing in your understanding of him as he has revealed himself. And I love this next phrase, just as you were taught, continuing in it. One of my favorite quotes is from a well-known theologian and they asked him why do you believe the bible is true and his simple answer is this and i often share this on mother's day he said it's because my mom told me so his mom told him you can trust the bible it's god's word it's truth from a young age as we are instructing children in the truth of god and his word to continue in that to continue on to grow if you're a new believer in Jesus Christ or you've been saved for many years, there's always the need to keep growing and learning more about God because it's not that we're missing things, but we get a fuller picture of who God is and it causes us to rejoice and love him more. So be about learning about God and his word because learning about God's word and living for Jesus go hand in hand. There's no living for Jesus without being established in the revealed truth of his word. So walk in him. Walk in him. Third, Jesus is to be the fount or fountain of our gratitude. We are rooted and built up in Christ. We are established in the faith and the, the teaching of God's word, just as we were taught. And third, abounding 
in thanksgiving. I love this word abounding. It means to overflow, to be outstanding. Are you outstanding at being thankful? Sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm not. <laughs> Sometimes certain circumstances, yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful. But then how often when things don't go my way that I'm not abounding in thanksgiving. I'm not excelling. One, uh, one gloss of this word from, uh, from a dictionary could say this word abounding means to be prominent. Is thanksgiving prominent in your life? Are you described as a thankful person? And this is a result of knowing Jesus Christ that we abound in thanksgiving. Why should we as Christians be thankful people? Hopefully you think, well, duh, Pastor Greg, there's a pretty easy answer there. Jesus saved us from our sins. Yes, correct. That's where you got to start. <laughs> but the moment that you dwell on that and are established in the faith and seek to know God more, you realize how utterly sinful you are and how utterly merciful and gracious God is. And in that comes more and more thanksgiving more and more gratitude. One uh, author said, the more I grow in my spiritual walk, the realize, I realize how sinful I am, as I mentioned, and how utterly gracious God is. The more I've known Jesus, the more I've realized how I'm a terrible sinner and how I'm so thankful for his grace and his mercy and his love through Christ. We're to be thankful people. And thankful people don't have time to complain. Thankful people are not worried about nitpicking small things. Thankful people aren't focused on things that are pet peeves and preferences. Because a thankful person is just, in a sense, glad to be here. There's a book out there called Cats and Dog Theology. And in this book, the author introduces the idea of being a cat or being a dog in ways we can think about God and his work in our lives. I don't mean to offend anybody if you lean one way or the other for these animals, okay? We have no pets, so I speak completely unbiased. Um, I'm too pragmatic to have pets. Um, cats, cats think they're God, okay? Let's be honest. If you have a cat, the cat will think, you are here to feed me and to give me water and things to play with and I'm the greatest thing in the world. Honor me, love me. No, I will stand here and not acknowledge you as I walk into the room as a cat, right? Yes, I will bring you a mouse when I want to bring you a mouse, things like that. That's the cat idea. Then there's the dog. You feed a dog, you water a dog, you play with a dog. The dog doesn't think, I must be God. The dog thinks, oh, thank you, you are God, right? What is our attitude towards God? Are we once saying, God, I demand these things? How dare you not provide to do these things? Or are we, like a dog, thank you. Thank you. I'm just happy to be here. Well, are you going to play with me again? Awesome. Right? As we are abounding in thanksgiving, we don't have time to say, what about me? What about this? And, and our, our mindset is not turned in on ourselves, but it's turned up to God and what he's done for us in Christ. And we are grateful people. May we abound in thanksgiving. May we excel in thanksgiving. What does thankfulness look like in your life? First of all, when's the last time you said thank you? 
to someone, wrote a note, sent a message, a text, a phone call. Hey, thanks for, thanks for this. Thanks for this. This was an encouragement. Thanks for this. Little notes, comments, things like that are super encouraging. And then as you, you take a step back and you think of, wow, God, what have you done? How, how, how can I be used by you, God? God, you've done this for me. What, how, how, how can I say thanks, right? We're not earning back our salvation by what we do, but we are living lives of gratitude by saying, okay, God, none of this I have is, is from me. It's from you. So here, you can have this. Can I be a help? Hey, I'm just thankful. I'm, I'm grateful. Here, use this. Abounding in thanksgiving. What does thankfulness look like in your life? Are you a thankful person? As we have received Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are to walk in Him. What does that look like? He is to be the foundation of our life. He impacts everything. And, and Paul gets to that here in Colossians. And we will in several weeks from our fight against sin, from roles and rules for the Christian household of husbands and wives and children and parents and, and slaves and masters. And he'll get into what it looks like to walk in Christ in some detail. But here, we're just getting started with this big picture. We are to be built on Jesus Christ. We are to be established in the revealed truth of his word. And we are to be thankful people. How do you know if you're walking in Christ? These are three areas to start with. And to think, hmm, does Christ make a difference in my life on a day-to-day basis? Am I seeking to know him more and be established in the truth? Am I a thankful person? Why? Because of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. The fact that he is the one who has made peace through his cross. I have a quote here from a book I read just this week. The author is talking about this idea of union in Christ. She says this. The central privilege of the Christian faith, the one that keeps you in God's will and his love, even when it hurts, is union with Christ. It is the single most extraordinary privilege a believer has. It explains how Christ both redeems your future and heals your past. At the moment that God the Father calls you, adopts you, and justifies you, your heart is regenerated and you are born again. The Holy Spirit forges with you an unbreakable, spiritual, irreplaceable, and eternal union with Christ. This union is better than the one that Adam had in the garden when he walked and talked openly with God prior to the fall. Adam's union depended upon his obedience. Our union depends upon Christ's obedience, being and character. We don't measure up. Christ measures up for us. And this is what we mean when we say that believers are united to Christ by faith. Although all believers have this union, if you do not exercise your faith, Build it up, make it strong, depend upon it, engage in all the means of grace as often as possible. The blessings of it might not flourish as God intends. When union with Christ is not enjoyed, the cares of the world sneak up and steal our joy in the Lord and weaken our faith. Do not neglect the fact that you are united with Christ and that you have these things available to you. Let us seek them out and let us continue to be rooted and built up, established and abounding in thanksgiving. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be united with Christ through faith in him. 
Lord, I pray as we think about what it means to follow after Jesus day in, day out. Lord, that you would give us wisdom and insight. Show us areas of sin or areas that uh, we are not being impacted by Christ. Lord, help us to be grateful people. Lord, I'm thankful for a church body that loves one another. Lord, to continue in thanksgiving together. I'm thankful for many positive examples I've seen over the past even several months, Lord, of folks walking in Christ and caring for one another. Help us to continue on each day by your strength and your grace through your spirit and your word to walk in Christ. Knowing that there's peace and joy that is found there that is not available anywhere else. And Lord, though the trials and temptations come, we are steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of Jesus. It's not in vain. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We pray in his name.